I never get anything out of the Bible. When I read it, it's boring. I don't get anything out of it. It's dry. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I don't know what the big deal is. It's a closed book to me. If you've ever thought any of those things, today is the perfect day for you to be at church. Because today we're going to begin a conversation about how the Bible is a closed book to some people, but God wants to open it up to us so that we can start seeing what it is that he wants us to see. The truth is, the Bible is a difficult book if you do not understand the principle of illumination. And that is what we're talking about today, illumination. You know, a couple years ago, Stephanie and I, before we had kids, we were going on a trip and we decided that we wanted to buy a handheld video camera to record everything that was going on uh, on our trip. And so I remember shopping for this camera. It's very exciting for me buying electronics. I'm geeking out. All right. And so I'm at the electronics store and I'm looking at the cameras and I pick one that I feel is going to work for us. And the sales associate says to me, just so you know, if you are using that camera outside in the daylight, you're going to get a beautiful picture. But with this camera right here, if you're not outside in the daylight, you're going to have a difficult time seeing what's actually there. And so he took the camera and he zoomed into one of the corners in the room that we were in that wasn't very well lit. And he said, in order to see what's really there, you need to have lots of light with this camera. In order to see what's really there, you need more light. The more light you have, the clearer you see. Isn't that true? The more light you have, the clearer you see. And that is why some of us choose to use low-light filters on our Instagram stories. All right? You use low-light filters to hide the blemishes. All right? You've got a zit. You use a low-light filter. All right? And so if you use a no-filter or a highlight filter, you see more clearly. Let me show you an example, okay? Here's a picture of a puppy dog with a low-light filter. All right? Now, the same puppy dog with no filter... Exact same dog. The more light you have, the clearer you see. And the truth is that this is true of God's word as well. The more light, the more illuminated your mind, the more you're going to get out of God's word. It's not just about the Bible, it's about illumination. And so what is illumination? Illumination is letting Holy Spirit show me the meaning of God's word and how it applies to my life. That's important. I'm going to say it again. It's on your handout as well. Illumination is allowing Holy Spirit to show me the meaning of God's word and how it applies to my life. One of Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate God's word so that I can see things that I otherwise would not see. It's kind of like at Christmas, if you've ever bought a toy for a small child that says batteries not included, right? That you buy that toy and unless there are batteries, it's still a toy. Of course it is, but it doesn't have the full potential of what it's really supposed to be. By the way, if you buy a toy that says batteries not included for a small child at Christmas time, buy the batteries. It is very difficult to explain to a three-year-old why you cannot buy triple batteries, triple A batteries on December 25th, okay? This is like the word of God. He's given us the power to interpret, to understand things that we've never seen before. I want to show you a verse. It's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. It says, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you his spirit. That's Holy Spirit. The spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. Why don't you go ahead and circle that phrase, let you understand. Holy Spirit will let you understand what it means to know God. This is the batteries included portion. 
This is this book that we're talking about, the Bible, is the only book that you can have a conversation with. As you read, you speak the Holy Spirit, you say, the things that I'm reading right now, how does this impact my life? How does this impact my life today? What are you trying to say to me right now? How am I supposed to use this? And Holy Spirit will put thoughts in your head, impressions on your heart. He will open our spiritual eyes and illuminate the Word of God. Now, how does illumination work? Well, if we keep going with that verse in 18 and 19, it says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart, you have eyes on your heart? Yes, I'm going to explain that in a minute. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened or illuminated in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. First circle the phrase, the eyes of your heart. What's he talking about there? The first thing that I think of is Acquire the Fire in 1998. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That was my jam, guys. That was my jam. When you are born physically, you know everything in life. All of your experience come, comes out of the five senses that God gives you, right? Hearing, tasting, seeing, smelling, and touching. And every physical experience that you have comes through that. And if you didn't have those senses, you wouldn't have experience. That's what happens when you're physically born. But the Bible tells us that when we are spiritually born, when we are reborn, when we say yes to Jesus, not only do we have physical senses, but there are also spiritual senses. God tells us that there are the eyes of our heart. And he, he says that we can, he will open the eyes of our heart to see things that we didn't see. And that he will give us spiritual ears to hear things that we had not heard. We live in two worlds. There is the physical world and the spiritual world. The spiritual world consists of God and angels and all of that. And although we cannot physically see it, it's very real. And when God opens our eyes, when he illuminates our minds, we are able to see some of those things in a spiritual capacity. And that is called illumination. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, your spiritual eyes, will be enlightened. Circle enlightened. The Greek word for enlightened is photizo. That's where we get the word photo or camera from. Now, what is a photo? Well, at least back in the day, before we had cameras on our phone, a photo was an image of light on a piece of paper. To enlighten, me, to enlighten means to shine light on something. And so when we read the Bible, all of a sudden, one day you're reading the Bible, and you go, bam, I've never seen that before. I've read this verse a hundred times, and I've never seen that inside the verse before. That You have that aha moment. That this is exactly what I needed to hear today, right now, for encouragement or for direction. You go, Eureka, I understand. That is illumination. Now, for many of you, you have not experienced illumination. And your experience with reading the Word of God might actually be a lot more like the Charlie Brown teacher. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, she's in the room and she's talking, but it's like, meh, 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 meh. The words are coming out, but you're not understanding, right? There's no illumination. Every once in a while, some of us may have had the experience of illumination, but it doesn't happen all the time. It's infrequently. This is a great day to be here and have this conversation, because what I want to do is teach you how to make this a regular part of your Bible reading experience. The Bible is an alive book, and you will go, so, that's so good, that's so wonderful, I've never seen that before. You'll see how God is speaking directly to you if you understand illumination. So what happens 
when we're illuminated, when our spiritual eyes are opened. What happens? You know, I want to tell you some stories that we find in the Word of God today that illustrate this actually happening. And then at the end of our time together, I want to give you very quickly five how-tos, five steps of what to do in order to see this happen in your life and to take action on it. So we understand what illumination is. I want to talk right now from these stories about the benefits of what we gain when we experience it. And finally, what we're going to do in order to experience it. So when God opens my spiritual eyes, this is number one on your sheet. When I see the things he wants me to see, number one, I see the barrier to my progress. I see the solution to my problems and I see the barrier to my progress. You know, there are some things that you've been wanting to do in life. Maybe you've wanted to start a business or a family or get out of debt. And you've had some goal or some dream and you're trying your best to do it, but you feel like you're not making any progress and you hit up against this invisible wall. And you say, I don't get it. I'm trying the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. I'm not making any progress. You need to have your spiritual eyes opened. You need to experience illumination. There's a story that is one of my favorite stories, maybe because it's weird, but we're going to read it this morning. And found in Numbers 22. Numbers 22. It's a story about a guy named Balaam. Now, Balaam was a prophet of God. Long story short, Balaam decided to help the bad guys. All right? He's supposed to be a representative of God. He decides to do something he knows that God does not want him to do. And he's on this journey with his donkey to go visit the bad guys and help them. All right? Now, God is a little bit upset about this whole thing. He says, you're supposed to be my, on my side here. I'm going to try to stop you from doing what you're wanting to do. All right? So only problem is God puts an angel in the pathway that Balaam is walking down, but Balaam can't see it. The donkey can. That's what I love about this whole thing. So we're going to start in verse 22. It says, God was furious that Balaam was going to help the bad guys. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey saw the angel, but Balaam did not. And the donkey bolted off the road into a field out of fear. But Balaam beat the donkey and turned back onto the road. Now, somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, is there any comedy in the Bible? Now, I don't know if this is like, ha-ha, funny, but this is something that I certainly find funny. Because Balaam can't see what's going on. There's an angel with a sword in the middle of the road. He can't see what's going on, but the donkey can. And the donkey is really smart. It's a really smart donkey. All right, And he jumps off the path into the ditch and tries to avoid the angel. Now, Balaam gets really upset. He brings him back onto the path and he, he beats the donkey. It happens a second time. It says the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. So we've got like this forced perspective here. The, the angel's in the middle where he can't kind of squish by on the sides or at least tries not to. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing there, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot on the wall. We always get hurt when we do what we know God does not want us to do. You know, we always get hurt. We always get our foot crushed. And Balaam doesn't see what's in the middle of the path. And he looks at the donkey and says, why did you do that? And he begins to beat the donkey again. It happens a third time, guys. The angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place so narrow that the donkey could not get by at all. And this time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. 
it just stopped and lay down right there. Can you imagine riding it? Maybe he's, I don't know if he's riding, but if he is, he's just like, he's just standing now because the donkey lays down on the ground, right? And he says, in a fit of rage, Balaam beat it again with his staff. Verse 31, it's going to be up on the screen. It says this, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Circle that phrase. This is illumination. He opened Balaam's eyes. And now Balaam can see what the problem was. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. He's saying, no way, you're not passing this way. And what does Balaam do now that his eyes are open? He bowed low and fell face down and he worships God. Here's the point. We have plans in our life that aren't working out. You try to go this way and you get blocked. And you try to go this way and you get blocked. And you try to go this way and you get blocked. And you're just mad at everybody about it. I mean, you're mad at your husband. You're mad at your wife. You're mad at your kids. You're mad at your donkey. And you're blaming everybody around you. And maybe you're even uh, complaining about your boss on and on. You're, you're mad at everybody because you can't see what the real problem is. But sometimes the real problem is that God is actually the one blocking that issue. He's trying to keep you from making a serious mistake. God is trying to keep Balaam from making a serious mistake. He says, I'm not going to let you go down that road. No matter how much you want to right now, no matter how many times you beat your head against the wall, no matter how many times you beat your donkey, I'm not letting you go down that road because I love you too much and he stops us. When our progress is being blocked, you've got one of two choices. Beat the donkey or let God open your eyes. You can either get mad at everybody around you because you're just so sick and tired of, of feeling blocked all the time. And, but the problem is that you can't really see the problem. The barrier is God not letting you do that because he loves you too much. And so when God opens my eyes, I see the solution to my problems. And when God opens my eyes, I see the barrier to my progress. And then I say, oh, well, that kind of made sense. Story number two, guys. When God opens my eyes, I see the defense for what's attacking me. I see the defense. How is God going to defend me for the, from the things that are attacking me? Everybody feels under attack at some point in their lives. Everybody feels that. When my kids come home with a, a like sneezing fit or, or they're coughing or they've got a runny nose, I feel under attack by the petri dish of germs that is a kindergarten classroom. Everybody feels under attack at some point in their life. Maybe you feel under attack from the economy. Maybe you've lost your job or your retirement package isn't what you expected it to be. Maybe you feel under attack by a former friend or a family member. Maybe you feel under attack by your own mind. And you've got these thoughts that are running through and you just can't seem to get past them, whether you know that they're true or not, and you're not sure what God is going to do in all of that situation. There's a story in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. It's about a man named Elisha and a nation called Aram. All right. So in the Old Testament, there's this nation called Aram, and Aram was always at war with Israel. But every single time Aram attacked Israel, they would lose because Israel was prepared for the attack. Now, the reason that they knew this was because Elisha was a prophet of God. And he would hear from the Lord that this was going to happen. He would tell the king of Israel what was happening, when it was happening, and then Israel would defeat the Arameans. <clears throat> now, as you can imagine, the king of Aram wasn't too pleased about what was going on. And so he gathered all of his closest advisors and he brought them into one room. And he said, who's the leak? Who's the mole? 
because there's no way that they are that prepared. There is no way that they know every single time what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, and how to defeat us. Who's telling them? Who's the traitor? Now his, his counselors, his closest advisors responded, he said, King, it's not us. It's that man, Elisha. He says, he even knows the thoughts, the, the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. You need to get him. And so the king of Aram says, okay, well, let's go and get him. He, he says, seize him. Now, I don't know why he thought that this one was going to work when all of the other ones did it. And like, if it's me, I feel like I should probably just like kind of back off right now, right? But he doesn't. And he says, one night the king of Aram sent a great army with soldiers and chariots and horses to surround the city that Elisha is in, the city of Dothan. The next morning, Elisha and his servant wake up. His servant's name is Gehazi. Gehazi gets up and he goes outside and he sees that there are chariots and horses and troops surrounding the city and they're there to kill them. He goes back inside and he basically has a panic attack. He says, Elisha, we're going to die. There is nothing that's going to work right now. We're going to die. And Elisha responds to him. I love this. He says, uh, Gehazi says, what do we do now? Elisha replied, don't be afraid for there are more on our side than there are on theirs. And if I'm Gehazi, I'm thinking, what have you been drinking? Because there are two of us in this room and there are thousands of them outside. There are not more of us. And so Elisha does this in verse 17. He says, oh Lord, open his eyes. Circle that phrase. Open his eyes, talking about Gehazi, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked out, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, he goes outside, and he understands that in this moment that, man, there have always been these spiritual things that I could not see before, but they are there, and they are present, and he sees what's going on, and his fear dissipates. The story goes on, and Elisha says this, Oh, Lord, please make them blind, referring to the Arameans. And the Lord did as Elisha asked. So Elisha went out, and he told them, You have come the wrong way. This is his battle plan. Blind them, and then tell them they've gone the wrong way. He says, But I know the man you're looking for, and I can bring you to him. And so he brings them to a completely different city, and he leads them to, America, uh, to Samaria. Here's the point, my friends. You have things that are attacking you. And there are going to be moments in our life where if we don't have illumination, we will panic about it. We will feel overwhelmed. There's a whole lot more going on than just little old me right now. And God wants to open your eyes to see the resources that he has already placed in your life and commanded to take care of you. There are angels around you all the time. You might not see them with your physical senses, but they are there. And God says, when we see from his viewpoint, we can see the defense. And all of a sudden, our fear drops dramatically. One more story. Can we do one more? I like stories. The third one this morning, I see how God is walking with me. When God opens my eyes, I see how God is walking with me. He's been with me all along, and I just didn't see it. This one kind of reminds me of like the footprint poem. It was in, like framed in my bathroom growing up, all right? Uh, but we didn't know, I don't know what you're going through right now. Like you might feel alone. You might feel like you're on your own and you're battling on your own. You might feel like God is not with you, that God is actually a million miles away. But I need to tell you this morning the truth that you're not alone. He's with you. And you can't see him if your mind is not illuminated. I want to share with you the story from Luke 24. And this is the story of Jesus immediately after the resurrection. 
the day, after, the day he rose from the dead. This is Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday. Now, in the 72 hours that precede this moment, a lot has happened, right? Jesus has been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been tortured. He's been whipped. He's been crucified. He died. They buried him in a tomb. His disciples are crushed. Their dream is finished. You see, these men were following him with their whole lives. And they thought he is the Messiah. They thought this is God. And now we're wrong because he's dead. They killed him. They're probably going to come and kill us next. And so they're running away. They're filled with grief. They're filled with sorrow. And they begin to leave. And then on Easter morning, some women go to the tomb of Jesus. And they find that the tomb has been broken open and the body is gone. Man, it's unbelievable that there are some angels that speak to them and say, Jesus has been resurrected. He is risen. And they say, this is, this is too much to believe. They run and they, they tell the disciples. And the disciples go and, and they see and they say, it's true. The body's gone. But, but man, it's still too much to believe. And there's this rumor that begins to circulate around Jerusalem saying that Jesus' body is gone. The rumor says that Jesus has risen. But the problem is it's only a rumor so far because nobody has actually seen him later on that day. Jesus' disciples are walking down the Emmaus Road. Why are they walking down the Emmaus Road? Because they're wanting to leave Jerusalem because they're fearing for their lives. They think if they stay, they will be murdered. And so they're leaving. They're scared. They're filled with grief. They've got tears in their eyes. And Jesus shows up and appears to them and starts walking with them. But they don't recognize him. We pick up in verse 15. Of Luke 24, it says, Suddenly Jesus himself came along and joined them, these two disciples, and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was, because God, God kept them from recognizing him. And Jesus said, You seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you so concerned about? And of course, they're talking about what's been happening in the last three days. They're talking about the crucifixion and, and, and all of the craziness in Jerusalem. And it says, They stopped short, sadness written on their faces. Then Cleopas said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem. You must be the only one who hasn't heard what has happened in these last few days. Jesus said, again, this is, I think this is funny. Jesus said, what things? He's playing dumb. Of course he knows what's going on. It's about him. He says, what things? And the disciples said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. You know, like he was a prophet. He did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher. He was highly regarded by God and by all the people. He says, but our leading priests and religious leaders arrested him. And they handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. They said, we had thought he was the Messiah. We thought this guy was from God. We thought he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That all happened three days ago. They continued. Some of the women were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and that they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, just as the women had said. And so these disciples, they're all confused. They're trying to make sense of this. They haven't seen Jesus, even though he's walking right there with them. They haven't seen him yet, and they don't know what to believe. So Jesus says this to them. You are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the prophets, uh, by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his time of glory? 
Then Jesus uh, quoted passages from the writings of Moses. That's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And he says, and then all of the prophets, which is the rest of the Old Testament, because the Old Testament points to Jesus, explaining what all of the scriptures had said about him. It says, by the time they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of their journey, Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night with them because it was getting late. So he, Jesus, went home with him. They still don't recognize him. He sits down to eat with them, and Jesus takes a small loaf of bread, just like at the Last Supper. He broke it, and he gave it to them, just like at the Last Supper. Verse 31 is up on the screen. It says, then their eyes were opened. Circle that phrase. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Imagine yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Like, oh my God, this is Jesus. We've been walking with him all day. We've been talking with him. We've been telling him what we saw, and he's actually been explaining the meaning of all of it to us. What in the world is going on? Their eyes were opened. They experienced illumination. In their grief, they could not see that Jesus was with them. They just couldn't see it. They needed illumination. I don't know what you've lost this year. I don't know if you've lost a loved one or your health or maybe your job or maybe an important relationship or a big business deal fell through and you're grieving. And sometimes in the middle of our grief, we cannot see that Jesus has actually been with us the entire way. Even when we feel alone, God is walking with us. And when we can't see it, our eyes are blinded. Do you realize why illumination is so important? This is the batteries included version of the Bible. All right. When God opens our eyes, bam, we see the solution to our problems. When God opens our eyes, bam, we see the barrier to the progress that we're trying to make. When God opens our eyes, bam, we see the defense that is, uh, God is using to protect us from our attackers. And when God opens our eyes, we see how he's been with us the entire time. So the question is, how do we do that? You know, we could end here, but it wouldn't be sufficient because we would understand what it is. We would understand the benefits and have no next steps that we can take in order to actually experience it in our lives. So what do we do? I want to give you five steps that you can make in order to experience illumination when you read the Word of God. The first one is very basic. I must begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the starting point. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus... You don't have any hope of seeing things from God's point of view. You have to get this connection first. You can, you, it's not enough to just know about Jesus. You have to know him personally. You have to have a relationship. You have to be born again and say yes to him and accept his free gift of salvation. Until that point, you are spiritually blind. Sorry, not sorry. You can only see things from a human viewpoint. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14... The man without the spirit, that means he's not born again, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Underline, cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. This is why I think it's utter nonsense for us to expect non-believers to behave like believers before they are believers. I mean, we can pass all of the laws and all of the rules and all of the protocols and all of the policies that we want to get people to do what is the right thing to do, but it's not going to happen because it just doesn't make sense. 
God says that our eyes are blinded until we have connection with him. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. That means no one can see what God is doing until he is born again. And so if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that before we leave this place today. But the second thing that we need to do is ask God in faith to open our eyes. Does anybody remember our memory verse from last week before it goes up on the screen? Seriously? Come on, guys. My kids got it. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see. Come on. Open my eyes that I may see. It's even on the screen. Wonderful things in your law. Guys, why do you think I had you memorize that verse or ask you to memorize that verse, apparently? Right? Because I want you to pray that every day before you read your Bible. It's what I prayed this morning before I read the Bible. Lord, before I read this, open my eyes, my spiritual eyes, to see the wonderful things in your law or in your word. Here's the point. There are wonderful things in the Bible, but you won't see them with physical eyes. It takes illumination. This is why Jesus said, Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and the door will be open to you. Ask, seek, and knock. Think of the first letter of each of those. A-S-K, ask. He's needing you to ask. And what is God's promise? Psalm 32, verse 8, it says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will show you which way to go. I will counsel you and I will watch over you. But I have to ask in faith for God to open my eyes. Third thing that we're going to do is I come with a humble attitude. If I come to the word of God and I go, you know what? I've got all of this figured out. I've got all of my marriage issues figured out. I've got all of my financial issues figured out. I've got all of my job issues figured out. I'm not going to really receive from the Lord. Why? Because I'm coming with eyes that are closed. We need to come with a humble attitude. Teachable. Psalm 25, 9 says he guides, and that's what we need. We need guidance. He guides the humble. If you are humble, God will guide you in what is right and teaches them his way. I ask God to open my eyes. I come with a humble attitude. I cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. I cannot get my eyes to open if my body is full of junk. That's why the Bible says, Jesus says, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You cannot see it unless your heart is pure. Now, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. Pure is not the same thing as perfect. If God only revealed things, if God only spoke to people that are perfect, we would never hear from God. Pure in heart doesn't mean perfect. Pure in heart means I'm caught up today on my confession. Do we remember what confession is? We spoke about this a few weeks ago. Confession isn't conviction. Confession isn't condemnation. Confession is agreement with God. It says, God, you were right, and I'm not. You were right about the way that I, I spoke to my kids last night, and that wasn't okay. That wasn't honoring. That wasn't life-giving. You're right. I'm not. I'm sorry. That's confession. And so to be pure in heart is to be caught up on our agreement with God. I must cleanse my heart of sin, and not just sin, but conflict. And this one, let's be honest, is harder. 1 John 2.11 says, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and he walks around in the darkness, and he does not know where he's going. If you don't know where you're going, 
it might be because there's unresolved conflict in your life. And the Bible says that when that happens, you're in the darkness. It says whoever hates his brother doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. That means that if we're out of whack relationally, we're going to have a difficult time hearing from the Lord. If we are out of whack relationally, if I have a giant argument with Stephanie, and then I go and I sit down with my Bible and I say, Lord, teach me from your word today. Now, I'm probably not going to have my eyes opened in a spiritual capacity. Sure, I'm going to read it. The stories are there. I'm still going to read the words, but I'm not going to have that eureka, like the lights coming on illumination moment. The Bible says that you cannot be right with God and wrong with others. You cannot love God and hate others. You know, I saw a picture of a billboard. I might have shared this with some of you. Uh, and it was a quote. And it said, remember that whole love thy neighbor thing? I meant that, God. You cannot love God and hate others. You need to be reconciled with others to be reconciled with God. And let me just add one quick point to that. I understand that there are situations in our lives where we cannot be reconciled with somebody else because reconciliation takes two willing parties. And I am not saying that if somebody else is unwilling to reconcile with us, that we cannot experience what he has for us. But what I am saying is that as far as it's up to us, it's our job to seek reconciliation. So if you really want your minds open, if you really want to see the solution to your problems, the barriers to your progress, the, the defense to the attackers, and the fact that God is with you, you might need to make a phone call this afternoon. You might need to write a letter. You might need to forgive somebody. You might need to ask for forgiveness, and you might need to let somebody off of the hook. But you say to me, I'm holding a grudge. You don't understand my situation. If you were in my shoes, you would know that I couldn't let go of that grudge. You're not holding on to a grudge. It's holding on to you. And it's holding you in a self-imposed prison of pain. And you need to move past it. You need to forgive. You need to let it go. You need to bring it before the Lord. Because until you do, you are blind. And you cannot see with spiritual eyes in blindness. I ask God to open my eyes. I come with a humble attitude. I cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. And finally, this one I think is the most important. I commit in advance to do what God says. This is an unqualified, unconditional obedience. I say, God, I'm going to do what you ask me to do. Whether I understand it or not. Whether I agree with it or not. Whether it's easy or whether it's hard, whether it's popular or whether it's unpopular, I'm telling you in advance that I'm going to do what you ask me to do, even if it doesn't make sense, because I'm saying yes beforehand. Psalm 119, verses 33 and 34 says, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them. You see the promise and the commitment? I'm saying to God, Teach me. And I'll do it. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and I will obey it with all my heart. Whatever you are showing me, I will act on it. There have been so many times in my, you know, decade plus of ministry that I've had people meeting with me and saying, God's just not talking to me. One of the first questions that I ask is, what's the last thing he said? And then after they tell me that, I say, did you do it? God's not silent. He's just already given you instruction that you haven't followed. And if you want step two, you have to complete step one first. Why? Because action is the bottom line. 
action is the bottom line. James 1.22 is our memory verse for this week. James 1.22, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James 1.22. You know, this week, um, I discovered at home the tribute that my pastor had written me on my last day uh, in Armprior. And I'm not going to lie, I read it, and it brought a few tears to my eyes. And I, I took a photo of it, and I sent it to him in a text message. And, and one of the things he said was that I'm going to miss our weekly coffee meetings at Sweet and Sassy. It was our, it was our coffee shop, all right? It was, like, it was like Cheers, where everyone knows your name, but it's coffee instead, all right? And so we go to Sweet and Sassy every week, and he said, but I'm sure there's some great places. I'm sure there are some great places to have coffee and lively, and I'll have to come up for a cup of coffee. And so I sent him a text message with a photo, and I said, Pastor Clark, it's time for you to come for that cup of coffee. And I highlighted underneath. He said some really nice things, right? But kind of like that, kind of, the, I'm saying this nice thing because I'm not making a commitment right now, right? I said, Pastor Clark, do not merely be a writer of tributes and so deceive yourself, but be a doer of tributes. Let's say this together, guys. James 1.22. Let's say it together. James 1.22. Do what it says. James 1.22. Do you know that you memorize not just by reading, but also by saying and hearing? That's why we say it out loud. By the way, what is James 1.22? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And where do we find that? James 1.22. Amazing. Now I expect you guys to remember that next week, all right? To, to think on that this week. Let's just take a moment and pray together. Would you just do me a favor and bow your heads? Close your eyes for the privacy of this moment. I shared earlier today that we were going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus if you've never done that before. Maybe some of the things that we shared this morning, it's just so appealing. And you've been, you've been struggling with not seeing a solution to your problem. You've been struggling with not seeing the barrier to your progress and not seeing how there actually is somebody caring for you and defending you. How, how there actually is Jesus walking alongside of you the whole time. And you, think, and you think to yourself, maybe it's the first time I've heard it, or maybe it's the first time that it's really landed. And you feel like it's time to make a decision. Well, the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation, and it tells us that in order to experience that, it says that whoever believes, who, who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sins, that he will be saved. We're not making some sort of commitment to join this church. We're not making some sort of commitment to stand on the street corner on a soapbox and begin yelling at people as they go by. And we're not making some sort of commitment to give all of our money away and travel halfway around the world. But what we are acknowledging with our eyes closed and our heads bowed is that Jesus might be speaking to somebody today. And our vision is to see people take steps closer to Jesus. And I just want to give you an opportunity today that if you've never done that before, I want to invite you to put up your hand. The reason that I asked you to close your eyes and bow your heads is so that you know that this isn't about spectacle. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. I'm not going to single anybody out. And I'm not going to embarrass you. But I do want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And if somebody is here this morning who wants to say yes to Jesus for maybe the very first time, I just want to invite you to put up your hand right now and we'll pray for you. Yeah. Awesome. See your hands. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much, Lord God, that we have that free gift of salvation because of the blood of Jesus. And all we have to do is say yes to him. 
Thank you, Lord God, that when we do that, it's not about how we behave. It's not about uh, what we've done. It's not about how much money we make. It's not about uh, the, the works that we do or what we earn. It has everything to do with Jesus and your incredibly uh, huge amount of love for us and your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord God, that when we say yes to you, that you have told us that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and that we have assurance and hope of salvation for eternity relationship with you. And pray for us this week as we commit to be in your word. As we pray, Lord God, what Psalm 119 verse 18 tells us to, uh, Lord, that we pray, open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, so that we may see wonderful things in your law. I pray that you would reveal that to us, and I thank you that you are faithful, and that your word does not return void. I pray, Lord God, that there would be freedom for people in this place today who respond to you, who, who commit to your word. I pray, Lord God, that your word would continue to transform our lives and the lives of people around us. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone who agreed said, amen.